Good morning, everybody. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for a Sunday to come together, to worship you, to study your word, to be together as your people, um, using the gifts that you have so blessed each person in here with, that we might be a blessing to one another. Help us to stir those gifts up, Lord, and help us just to, to honor you, to glorify you, to exalt you, to please you in all that takes place this morning. Prepare our hearts for the hearing of your word. And I pray that there be lasting fruit from our time in the study of Scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians to chapter 6 as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. What a wonderful song to finish our, our time with in, in worship this morning and song. And Pastor Matt, maybe we should do that song at the beginning of the, as we close the service as well. Um, let's think about that for a second. A mighty fortress is our God. Imagine Martin Luther. Born, I think, somewhere around 1480-something, 83 or something like that. Lived there in, in, in Germany and major part of, of the beginning of the Reformation. But, but coming against the church, coming against the world, insane. let's trust what God says in His Word regarding who he is, regarding how we can be saved, regarding how the church ought to operate. And having everybody, I mean, the most powerful people in the world come against him. Him in hiding, translating scripture, teaching, but always constantly under the threat of death and so many others that he's watching who agree with him who are being put to death. And he writes this song, this hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Think of like how he would write this, what this would mean to him, how they sang this when they sang during that time. Mighty Fortress is Our God. When you start thinking about people and Satan and the demons coming against him. To know that we have a fortress that is Almighty God. When he says the word for, for still our ancient foe, our enemy, Satan, this, this enemy from the very beginning, doth seek to work us woe. His craft and His power are great and armed with cruel hate. He knows what this is talking about. The way Satan operates, his craft and his power are great and he's armed with cruel hate. He 
hates. He hates the things of God. He hates God's people. He hates God's word. He hates the truth of the gospel. And on earth is not his equal. He goes from there and says, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. If it's up to us, if it's up to our own strength to be able to make it, we're in a huge amount of trouble. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that might be. Christ Jesus, it is He. The Lord Sabbath His name from age to age the same. He must win the battle. So you can picture him saying this. He, it must be Christ that wins the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The world is filled with principalities and powers, and yet, although they want to undo us, we will not fear, we will not be afraid, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. One word and he is destroyed. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gift are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. The words of that hymn, boy, they meant a lot to Luther and to the Reformers, to the Christians at that time. But they ought to equally mean a lot to us this morning. It's different sports that are referred to in Scripture. One would be like from the call to, or from the Scripture reading this morning, running a race that's been set before us. The idea of running a race. Possibly boxing and not being one who like beats the air, hitting like that. Some people say baseball, like in the big inning. That's wrong. Others say tennis, because Genesis 41, Joseph served in Pharaoh's court, but that's not what it's talking about. But there's one that we know for sure that is in Scripture, and that's wrestling. Wrestling is for sure in Scripture. Jacob, wrestling with God, right? In the passage before us this morning, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Um, my little... 12-year-old boy Jonathan wrestles. 
and uh, it's a sport that he picked. He wrestles, and we go all over the country, and he wrestles in the biggest national tournaments, and we'll go to Oklahoma, and as we do every year in, in January, and he'll wrestle against the very top guys in the country. And, and so this is what we do. It, 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 it's a crazy sport in that like, it, it's a short match, but it seems like forever. And as a parent, oh my goodness, it, it, it makes my stomach do something that like, I, I never happened as even like an athlete playing soccer. Um, I would get so nervous before soccer games and like, uh, just like wanted that whistle to blow so I can just play. But as a parent, you don't get to get that out. And so I just sit there and just like boiling over in the midst of watching him wrestle and beforehand and my stomach does something terrible and my, my hands start sweating and I'm nervous. And, and then my little guy goes out there and there's these boys that just want to beat him up and we have to watch him go and hope that he does well. But when we, we go to these matches, these tournaments, we will first look at the, the tournament chart and, 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 and be able to see the ladder and be able to say, okay, who do you wrestle? Who's your first match? Who's your match against? So we find out who he, he's, he goes against and then we study that guy. Okay, like he's state champion of this state and here's videos on him and here's who he's beat and here's who he's lost to and so we'll start to study this guy watch videos jonathan will always be like hey if i win this one then i wrestle against one of these two guys make sure that you video that match and so we'll video that match and then he watches that match over and over and over again before he has to wrestle he'll sit with his coach and be like hey this is what the guy's doing and they'll watch, okay, his weakness is this, or he, you can do this, or his game is this, and he's, he's got a good up game, or he's got a good ground game. Or he, and so they go through, and they discuss it, and they study the opponent. And then he goes out there and wrestles. It's a sport in which you, you leave everything on the mat. I mean, like, every muscle that you have is being used in the midst of trying to pin this guy or beat this guy. And your mind has to be sharp and you don't want to make any mistakes. A brief moment of, of not paying attention or not having your head into it and you're, you're in trouble. You're going to be in a huge amount of trouble. In the days of Scripture here, wrestling would have been taking place in the Olympics and wrestling would have been taking place in other coliseums and forums in which sometimes the wrestling was unto death. This is the way they fought. This is what they did. And so Paul's using an example that would have been very familiar to everybody. Who do we wrestle against? Who do we fight against? Now looking at our passage this morning, again looking at it in its context, in Ephesians 6 beginning in in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, 
against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, and having done all to stand. Do you get the idea of urgency here? Do everything you can to stand. Put on the whole armor of God. Stand strong in the power of God's might. There's an urgency that's here. This is who we wrestle against. It's not flesh and blood. It's against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is who we go against. This is who we fight against. We've been studying through the book of Ephesians. We've come to the last chapter, and we've come to the final verses. But this is something that matters tremendously to us in our lives. Who is our enemy? What is he like? What are his strengths? What are his tactics? What's his go-to? How, how do we fight against him? How do we stand in the end? You may say, well, um, does it really matter that much? And my response to you is, yes, it does. We have an ancient foe who desires to work us woe. His craft and his power are great, and he's armed with cruel hate. This is who we face. This is who we go against. There's those that make him far bigger than he really is. There comes a place for us with Jonathan where I have to say you're not allowed to look at the record of whoever you're going against because it will psych him out. Like, this guy, this, this guy has 125 wins. He's only lost eight times. How do I go against him? And he'll start losing before the match ever starts. If you think that the person that you're going against is almost impossible to beat, you're going to be um, fearful in a way that will be crippling. But when we look at Scripture, although Luther says on earth is not his equal, he also says we will not fear. His rage we can endure. With one word, he'd be destroyed. Let's talk about our enemy. You should have a hand out there in your bulletins. If you don't, please raise your hand because you're going to want that. And one of the ushers will bring one to you. Several scriptures to go through here, and, and yet what I would like to do is, um, I provided this to you so you can read some of it on your own, because we're going to go through some of it more quickly, or just highlight certain parts of some of the verses. But beginning with our text, let's start there to see what this is teaching us. We've already looked at verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We must stop there for a second just to make it clear. This is talking to Christians, my brethren. Finally, it makes reference to all that we've learned so far is as far as our salvation and what God has done and the gift that we have in the gospel. 
through the cross. It's also telling us be strong in the Lord. Don't be strong in your might. Don't be strong in your abilities. This is not a man-centered text at all. It's be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We looked at last week, put on the whole armor of God. There is a putting on, something that we must do, put on. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand Stopping there for a moment. Put on. Put on the whole armor of God, not just part of it, but pay attention to the details because they matter. That you may be able to stand, and that definitely makes it clear that if you don't, you won't be able to stand. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. It tells us about our enemy. It also makes it clear that in putting on the whole armor of God, you will be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the devil. Then it describes our enemy as we look at our text for this morning. For we, as Christians, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The battle that's taking place, what we face... We know that we have enemies here on this earth, but God's making it clear that there is a spiritual realm in which we live, and there is an enemy that is not flesh and blood. There is a wrestling that takes place, and it's not someone that we can see, necessarily. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Think of the words that are used here, against principalities, against powers against rulers there's a hierarchy that's here and there is power that's there and whom we are fighting against principalities powers rulers spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places or in the spiritual realm there's spiritual warfare an enemy that we have and his demons that are real For us to not recognize that there is an enemy will make it so that we will be off to a losing start because we don't even realize that there is an enemy that desires us harm. Paul there, there then goes to, therefore, take up the whole armor of God again that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. There's an urgency that's here. Do everything, do everything you can to stand. And so let's go and look at our enemy. Who do we wrestle against? The devil or Satan and his demons. Where'd they come from? 2 Peter 2.4 tells us, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So there's angels that sinned, and they were cast out of heaven. Revelation 12.4 tells us that his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. It gives you the idea that it's a substantial host of demons who are there with Satan. A third 
of the angelic beings. Isaiah 14 tells us more about how he fell. Ephesians, or Isaiah 14, 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, a son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. We hear that God describes Lucifer, Satan, the devil, as one who was cast out of heaven because of his pride, because of him desiring to be exalted, to be like the Most High. And God says, no, you're cast down. The name Satan means adversary, or the word devil means slanderer. Revelation 12.9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Makes it clear what took place. We see in Scripture names that are given for Satan, descriptions that are given of him. Lucifer, Beelzebub, the lord of the flies, prince of the power of the air, the serpent, the great dragon, the ruler of the world, the evil one, a murderer from the beginning, the father of lies, a deceiver, the tempter, and several other ways of describing him. It gives you an idea of how he's described. What's he like? He wants to deceive. But we also look in Scripture, and and this isn't some kind of dualism in which there's God and there's Satan and there's fighting against each other, and sometimes God wins and sometimes Satan wins, and they're on equal ground. That's not the case at all. Be very clear that that is not the case at all. God is the creator of all that exists. God is all-powerful. Satan is the creation, and his power is very limited. God knows all things. Satan does not. God knows the future. Satan does not. For God, he could be at all places at all times. Satan cannot. He could be at one place. So if you're, if you're out, is, well, the devil made me do it. Probably not. Probably not. But there's still spiritual warfare that takes place. Satan's power is limited. And it remains under God's sovereign hand. passage in Job in which God is there and he goes to Satan as Satan comes before the Lord and and God says to Satan, where did you come from? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Have you considered Job? Nobody's like him. He fears God and he shuns evil. So Satan answers the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? 
Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Think of who Satan is and what he is doing here. He's looking upon the servant of the Lord, this man who's upright, who fears God and shuns evil, and he says, you've protected him. If you took that hedge away from him, that boundary away from him, that protection that's there, he would curse you to your face. Now this did resound loudly to you if you've gone through some major trials in your life. The trials that we go, we go through aren't always because of things like this. Sometimes it's discipline. Sometimes there's other reasons that God allows things to take place, causes things to take place. In this particular situation, God sees Job knows who he is, goes to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? But Satan's there saying, if you don't let that hedge be there anymore, he'll curse you to your face. Encouraging to me because it tells me God puts a hedge around me. I love that. I love that Satan can't do anything to me or anything to you that he desires to do. There's a hedge that God has there around you a sovereign god protects us but in this case satan's saying he'll curse you to your face and the lord says to satan behold all that he has is in your power only do not lay a hand on his person don't hurt him and what happens kids gone possessions gone Servants, gone. Destroyed in a day. Brutal. And then we see Job responding. Weeping. But saying, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return. The Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and he worshiped. He didn't sin or curse God with wrong. And we see Satan come at him again. Now there's boils on Job. Even Job's wife saying, curse God and die. And Job responds, why do you speak like the foolish women speak? Shall we not accept good from God and not also adversity? But Satan there saying, I just, I just, I want him so badly to curse you to your face. I want him to blame you. I want him to curse you. I want him to hate you. If you take that hedge away, I will sack him. And then we'll see what happens. And it's in times like that that we need the full armor of God that we might be able to stand. But his power is limited. You notice that Satan can't do whatever he wants to Job. God allows it. God gives him permission. 
We see in Jude chapter 1, verse 6, that the angels did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He's reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. There are those that are in everlasting chains. They're not all powerful. They're not on equal level with God. God has the ability to put them in everlasting chains and just hold them for the day, the, the great day of judgment. The demons were subject to Christ. We find that in Scripture over and over again. But look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 23. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. Now this demon knows exactly who Jesus is. And he's sitting there going, Leave us alone. What have we to do with you? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. The demons are such that when Jesus says, Do this, they obey him. He's in control. Again, in Luke chapter 8, you see this, this man who's there and tells us that Jesus stepped out on the land. There met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. So this man, he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him. And he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the darkness. And Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. This demon, they, these demons, they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. And now a herd of many swine were, was feeding on, there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. And then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake, and they drowned. Now, you've all probably heard that story in Scripture. But what does it tell us about demons? One is they are begging him. Begging him. Please. Don't send us down to the abyss, please. Don't. So Jesus says, okay, I'll cast you into these swine. You see them with this man, and the man we're told, doesn't have, have clothes on. He's not living in a house. He's a madman. He's living in tombs. But these demons are having a major impact on this guy. There's not just one in him, but the name is Legion, meaning there's many. 
that are in him. There are demons. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And they hate him. They want to destroy. They want to hurt. Once the demons were out of this man, verse 35 tells us that he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. It wasn't that the guy was just mentally deranged. It was that there was a demon that was having that kind of impact on him. Several demons. We see some of Satan's tactics. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's his desire and what he desires to do, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. In Genesis 3, verse 1, it tells that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He is cunning, crafty, tricky. The schemes, the wiles of the devil. He knows what he's doing. And he knows what works. Does the same things over and over again throughout the history of this world. Has God really said? Did God really tell you this? He's just out to ruin your fun. It's not that bad. I mean, if you just do it a little. Or isn't everybody else doing the exact same thing? You could do the same thing. There's a cunningness, there's a craftiness amongst Satan and his demons and what they desire to do. You see it with Paul. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, about how lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Satan did this thing. He sent this thing on Paul. We don't know exactly what it is, but we know that Satan was involved with doing something to hurt Paul. It's real. And yet look at Paul's response. He says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's response to what Satan's doing to Paul is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength's made perfect in weakness. Satan has done this thing to you. He sent this message upon you. He's hurting you in this way, but I'm allowing it. I'm not removing it, although you've asked three times. Because my grace, it's sufficient for you. When you're weak, you're strong. My strength is made perfect in weakness. But Satan was doing something that was a huge affliction 
upon Paul. We find in 1 Timothy 4.1 that there's deceiving spirits in the doctrines of demons. Deceiving spirits in the doctrines of demons. What are the kind of things that they try to indoctrinate people with? You can just go through church history and look that Jesus isn't God. That salvation is not by grace alone through faith alone. You can just go through all of church history. Look and say, like, no, maybe no God exists. Or that God's not all good. Or that God's not all that powerful. Or he's not holy. Or there's other ways. Or all roads lead to heaven. Or you could just do whatever. It's the same things that come over, whether it's Gnosticism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. Every one of them is, this is man's attempt to try to do something in his own efforts to earn God's favor. But it's not a doctrine that teaches that Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God himself and he came and he died on the cross that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There's deceiving spirits, the doctrines of demons. They throw these doctrines out and you'll see them regurgitated the same thing over and over again. Man's attempt through religion to do something when God has already done everything. In 1 John 4, 2, it says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Is Christ God? Did he come in the flesh? Anything that says anything other than that is not of God at all. Rather, it's of Antichrist. It's of Satan. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 17, we see some more of his tactics. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I, I brought you my son he, who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples and they, that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, Oh, faithless, faithless generation, Jesus says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he's thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him, to, to, to kill, to steal, to destroy But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. But please help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead. So many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Why would I 
have you guys read this, because it tells us about this demon. It's brutal as far as what he does. You see the power of Christ over him, but the disciples are saying like, why, why can't we just cast him out? We want to be able to do that. And Jesus is saying, no, this one, he's not coming out unless there is prayer and fasting. And so for us as a congregation, we think of the spiritual warfare that we're going through. We ought to look at circumstances and things that just smell like sulfur, where we just see Satan there, present, hurting us, and saying, we have to call upon God to help us in this. This isn't something in which we can do on our own. We are not brilliant enough to make this happen. This is something that must come because we pray to God. We depend upon God. We fast and we ask God, Lord, you do this. You accomplish this. I can't do this. You please do this. We call upon Almighty God to do it. We would be crazy in the midst of battle if we're soldiers. And we're on the lookout and we see enemies coming. To sit there and say, like, I got this. I'm good. I don't need help. We would radio in, enemies are on the horizon. I see them. Please send help. And the commander sends help. All that we need. Brothers and sisters, we can't do these things on our own. When it talks about spiritual warfare, there is a calling upon us to call upon the Lord. Lord, enable us. Lord, give us strength. Lord, remove this from us. Lord, change this heart. Lord, accomplish your purposes. We will pray and we will fast and we will do this knowing that God is able to do any of these things. But he makes it clear to the disciples. Satan has his tactics and he's going to come at us over and over again. Pride, desires of the flesh, lust of the flesh, does it over and over again. You think of just the way in which this world works. Does it through music? Have you ever sat there and you, a song comes on the radio and you think like, oh man, I know all these lyrics. You can sing the whole song because you heard it like in fourth grade. And it just comes back to your memory. All of it. And you start listening going like, this is not good. This is bad. This is wicked. And he has a major influence that in the media, television, movies, the way in which he tries to draw people, I mean, who goes to Carl's Jr. because there's really cute girls that eat burgers like that? And yet that's their sales pitch, right? Do this and you'll get that. Have this and then you'll be happy. Be consumed with the stuff of the world. Forget the things of God. Take in all the stuff of the world. If you just have this or if you just have that, anything but just Christ. And the enemy just throws stuff our way constantly. His tactics have not changed, but God's bigger than him. We see his future. 
laid out clearly. Revelation tells us salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And it tells us that he just has a short time. Revelation 20 says that then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more until a thousand years were finished. And after these things, he must be released for a while. And then we see him being released. After the thousand years expired, Satan was released from prison, and he will go out and deceive the nations, which are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle those whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints of the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And it goes on to verse 10 of Revelation 20. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We know how it ends. We know how it ends. Be tormented day and night forever. So what do we do? We will be studying over the next several weeks the full armor of God. Ephesians six fourteen through 18, put on the full armor of God. Stand, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, praying always, being watchful. What's the Christian to do? We'll study each one of those things individually and say, this is how we fight the enemy. But you find also in Scripture, God saying, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's not he might. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. First Peter 5, or James 4, 7. In 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Vigilant or carefully um, watching out for danger because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking who may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So be sober, be vigilant, resist him, be steadfast in the faith. Ephesians 4, we looked at this a few months ago. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let... Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. When you're angry and you sin and you let the sun go down on your wrath, God's saying, when you do this, you give place for the devil. You make a way for him to get in. Take what God says seriously, because if you don't, you will make a way from the devil. If you think, I can sin in these ways, it's not that big of a deal. These are just little sins. I can do this. God's saying, when you live like this, you make a way for the devil to get in. Do things God's way, not your way. I love in Luke 10, where there's the 70 that return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And then Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. 
that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice because the demons are subject to you. Rejoice because, brothers and sisters, your names are written in heaven. That's the good news. That's the good part. Your names are written in heaven. God has written your names in heaven. You belong to him. You're a part of his family. You're a part of his bride through faith in Christ because you believe when Jesus died on the cross, your sins were placed upon him and his righteousness is placed upon you. And he died and took the wrath that you deserved upon himself. You trust him. You believe him. You look at God's sovereign picture and what he's done and what he's done for me the foundations of this world and calling you and you say, oh, I'm not going to rejoice because demons are subject to me. I'm going to rejoice because my name's written in heaven. My name's written in heaven. I belong to him. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We see in Colossians 1, Paul saying in verse 9, I don't stop praying for you. I pray that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and unspiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. So I pray, I pray these things. I pray that God would do this in you. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. You pray for me. We pray for each other. We pray that we would grow in these ways. But then he says this, Because he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. God did this. So how do we respond? We pray for one another. But knowing that God has already done this, he's bigger. May we be humble. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful. Don't be proud. Don't be at a place like, I don't need this. I'm good. Don't be proud lest you fall. But God tells us no temptation is overtaking you except as such as is common to man. But God's faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with temptation will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You can flee from idolatry because God is bigger than any of the temptations that come our way. Let's look at the last verse there in Matthew 16, verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Will not. And so in closing... You know more about your enemy, his abilities, but that he's also real. We serve a God who is a mighty fortress. There's an enemy that wants to hurt us, and he's armed with cruel hate. But we serve a God who wins. And even though this world that we live in is filled with principalities and powers that desire to do us harm, to undo us. We don't need to be afraid. 
God's way bigger than us and than them. Remember who you serve. You serve the sovereign God of the universe. I told you with Jonathan when he's wrestling, there's times where I said you can't look anymore at who you're going against because you get thrashed before you ever start the battle, before you ever start the match. I wanted to take some time to look at who Satan is and who the demons are, what they're like, because the Bible talks about them. But the Bible talks far more about who God is and what he's done. He's way bigger. There's nothing that's too hard for him. There's no one that can stop him. There's no one that can say, what are you doing? God is sovereign. The demons beg to him. Just throw us in the pigs. Please throw us in the pigs so that we can run off the cliff and die. Because that's better than whatever else may come our way through you. Just throw us to the pigs. They beg. We don't need to be afraid because we serve a God who's sovereign. But may we trust Him. Depend upon Him. Pray fast knowing that this battle is real. The more you desire to live for Christ, the more God's working through you, the more you will face adversity and difficulty in spiritual warfare. Luther faced that. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit and the gifts are ours. God has blessed us more than you could ever imagine. So may we worship him. Trust him. Call upon him. Depend upon him. Listen to his instruction. And do everything we can through God's enabling to stand. Amen? Let's pray as we close. Lord God, we thank you for this time and your word this morning. As we sing one last song, Lord, I pray that we would just trust your abilities, your sovereignty, your power. We depend upon you fully and completely. Trust you entirely to accomplish your purposes through our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would just work so mightily, Lord, that incredible fruit would come from each one of us individually and for us as a church. Help us to have a biblical understanding of who our enemy is and the greatness of our Savior. So now we come to you in worship, singing a song that so many have sung before. But may we just love oh, that we are behind one who is a mighty fortress for us. And may you be worshipped as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.